Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, folks. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench. My name is Rory O'Hagan. We are here until 7 p.m. tonight. Now we're at Top Sport coming your way. Over the next 60 minutes, we are going to be hearing from David Bond after their win today sees them into the All-Ireland Final. We are talking to Dave Myler today ahead of a big event happening at Turner's Cross this coming Tuesday. And we'll be talking to him about the proposed takeover of Cork City FC, which goes to a vote this day week. Also on the show tonight we are going to be talking to Ian Keith the adventure racer who's just finished another epic, epic race this time in Spain we're talking about his fundraiser in Cove this coming Tuesday night. We're talking to Tom Savage of Three Way Kings about Munster's win over Connacht and we're going to talk motor racing as well. You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Really glad you join us on the show tonight. We've got a lot to get through, so we've got a little crack into it. Looking back at today's results in the FA Cup, first off though, and uh, one game has just finished. Croatia beating Canada by four goals to one. That's despite Alfonso Davies putting Canada ahead after just two minutes. Maybe a little bit harsh on uh, Canada there, but uh, that is. Uh, the uh, difference I suppose the very very top teams Croatia finalists four years ago um, beating Canada today big upset today Morocco beating Belgium in Group F, Group F by two goals so that means their hopes of progressing out of the group are in the balance three points in two games and uh, weren't great against Canada either in the opening match manager Roberto Martinez says his side struggles are down to not being able to handle the pressure of playing in the biggest stage that uh, link up was missing uh, in the final third we couldn't find that spare man and I, I do think that is because we played with a fear of, of losing yeah not a good sign when you're blaming your players publicly after a, a defeat like that uh, riots in Brussels as well afterwards Belgium fans not happy uh, with that uh, performances um, fireworks been setting off fewer supporters and just reading the, the report here in one of the papers uh, a red car destroyed um, not very very uh, good scenes but uh, a big surprise there in that defeat to Morocco earlier on today uh, elsewhere uh, uh, Costa Rica defeating Japan 1-0 in their Group E games that means that opens the door for Germany uh, they lost their opening game they play Spain today 7pm the start time for that one it should be an absolutely cracking game really looking forward to looking at that uh, when the game finishes a little bit later on to or when the show finishes uh, later on at 7pm today Gaelic Games as I mentioned Neva Bond have beaten uh, Blaney Fox Castle Blaney Fox in the All-Ireland Junior Club Ladies Football Championship at 12 points to 7 congratulations indeed to them on that fantastic win today elsewhere in the most club football semi-finals Kerry's Karen O'Reilly edging Aero Hogue of Ennis by 1-9-1-8 in Tralee Limerick's Newcastle West soft to Prairie's Clamwell commercials 1-16-2-1-11 that game was after extra time today it was played in Semple Stadium in basketball and Ireland taking on the Netherlands in their third FIBA Women's Euro 2023 uh, qualifier today that game underway uh, since quarter past five half time uh, there and it's looking good for Ireland 34-14 how it stands there at the break golf Leona Maguire finishing fourth at the Open to Spanien the tournament uh, going to a playoff between Caroline uh, Headwall and uh, Morgan Metro, uh, Metro earlier on today 
and uh, it was uh, Caroline Hedwell who eventually uh, won that one out. Tom and Kevin closing with a 66 for a 900 par total the Joburg Open finishing at time for 18 12 shots behind Dan Bradbury Alright we are going to start with Neville Bond's fantastic win today we'll hear from players Rosie Corkery and Grace Murphy shortly first of all let's hear from the manager Noel McDonough Noel McDonough what a day for Neville Bond for ladies football not just here in Cork but in this region and all Ireland junior final beckons you must be incredibly proud of your players Yeah I suppose that was a real tough affair out there out there, you, know? you know a lot of people were saying that we were at home and we had all the advantage that brings its own pressure but I must say the girls stood up today they played really well we had a bit of homework done on, on these and uh, we knew they were good that if we were very strong players we, we managed them well you know and they dug it out and they had to dig this game out today because Northern football is tough and uh, this was a tough game for us but we are learning the whole thing we're getting we're improving every day and, and bring on the final um, you held them scoreless in the first half uh, from open play they got a couple of frees but considering the conditions and considering the defensive effort you must have been really happy that was the foundation you built your win on yeah it was exactly the same the game against Ula we played against the win of that the game as well and we did the same we were level at half time against the strong wind and today we knew coming out if we could play against the wind and, and keep the scoreline down we put them under pressure and then we had the forwards that could punish them <clears throat> and we had a lot of scores good scores on the board against the win in the first half we ended with three point lead that was fantastic and we built on that you know, and I know if we if you could kick on with two or three or four points in the second half, that you know we'd be hard to catch, and that's the way it turned out. Is it momentum, Noel? I mean, I know there's a huge amount going off on and off the pitch, but does the fact that were you let, were you anyway worried that you didn't have a quarter final coming into it as well? Because they did. Yeah, I'm not sure the momentum. I mean, I think the rest was good for us as well. You know, I mean, they, these were in, in Belgium last weekend, another game, and if you build yourself up every week for championship games, it can be difficult. And like, we had a bit of a rest. We we didn't train too hard this week. You know, it's all about rest and getting girls fit for the, today's game. And I think it stood to us actually. You know, in fairness to they came down travelling again today, like a seven-hour trip, and in Belgium last weekend, that was difficult. You know, so fair play, they put over a great display here today. Talk to you about your own supporters, the bunting, everything up and uh, all around the ground on the way in as well. It's been a fantastic. It's really and your club at other underage levels as well. The winning now has become a good habit. Yeah, we're doing well. Now. I mean, as I say, we've, we've won a minor county the last year, another two-year county, and this is the team that this year with a few older girls in the, in the mix. You know, and we've a good blend here now. And as I say, it's great for the young ones, it's great for the club. And you know, uh, ladies football is very strong in, in Avebar now, and success will bring even more success hopefully. You know, um, but all are fine. We don't know exactly yet who you're playing, but who cares? Because you're there now and you're something to look forward to. Yeah, listen, it's going to be a massive build-up. We've, we've two weeks to prepare now, and uh, we clear up the injuries, any knocks after today, and we probably won't train too hard for next for next week or two. But we're on the road again, you know. And look, it's going to be a massive build-up. It's going to be a great occasion for the club, and these girls are doing proud again. I know. All right, Donald, congratulations. Best luck, buddy. Thank you very much. Yeah, great stuff there. That is Nave Ball Manager Noel McDonough speaking after that win today over Castle Blaney. 12 points to 7 was how it finished. And in the final, will be Salt Hill knock Nakara in a fortnight's time. So, congratulations indeed uh, to the Cork, the Munster champions, and hopefully in two weeks' time, the All Ireland champions, Nave Ball, after today's win. I'm going to hear from Nave Ball's Rosie Corkery. Rosie Corkery, you're into a junior All Ireland club final. A fantastic moment for you and for the club. How does it feel? God, it's incredible. The crowd here today is just phenomenal. I've never seen the place so packed. <laughs> We're normally here playing all training, empty, empty stand and all, but oh my God, I can't describe it. It's, it's incredible, yeah, to be out here at my, you know, the girls you grew up with, we started playing with, it's unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, you're on the road since the start of the year as well. Club, Munster, and now this, it's serious effort. God, yeah, yeah. Look, we started training um, probably back in January. Um, we've been playing ever since. We had a great year at the club. Um, you know, it comes in waves. We won the under-21 and I think the minor 
as one as well. So incredible. Look, you can't complain. Playing playing football now coming into December, you, you couldn't write it. Talk to me about Castlebrainy Falls because they really put it up to you. God, they did, yeah. A tough bunch of girls, all right, yeah. Um, look, we've never played a team, obviously, from the north but they were a tough physical strong side and they really put us up to us they kept fighting till the end and we were just we were looking to come out in the end and what does this mean to the club I mean it's such a, a big a fantastic community effort but to get to an All-Ireland final God it means everything all you have to do is look around you the crowd here today you know coming through from Kilimarcha Clonjod Balavorna Coulee the flags up everyone out today to support us it's absolutely incredible it brings the community together big time it's unbelievable and we don't know who you're playing just yet the other semi-final result isn't true but it doesn't really matter because the way you're playing if you just play your strength you've every chance in this final yeah exactly look we try to focus on ourselves as much as we can stick to our own plan um, as much as we can you know but um, yeah hopefully look hopefully we get over the line now the next day as well but even just being here as a bonus really it's, it's unbelievable a lovely moment for you and for the club Rosie Cork congratulations go enjoy thank you very much appreciate it yeah you can hear how ecstatic Rosie is they're absolutely fantastic stuff for Neverborn to book their place in that All-Ireland final going to hear uh, more from the Neverborn campus here from Grace Murphy Grace Murphy congratulations thank and you. all Ireland junior final beckons how does that feel uh, great we've never got past the county in like 19 years so it's great to be there um, huge effort today it took a huge effort conditions weren't easy with the wind and everything else and a really tough opponent but you, you, you did what you had to do yeah we did definitely everyone kept going towards the end so thank god there was a bit of blanket defence going on the end so <laughs> a lot of excitement around the area and around the club and there's going to be even more excitement over an all Ireland final to look forward to it definitely yeah there's flags everywhere so it's great support and what about this team? Tell me about your teammates and all the efforts you put in this year. Um, we've actually been going since January because I'd say 10 out of the 15 are on the under-21 squad. So it's been a long time coming, nearly a year's training. Uh, but well worth it and deserving now? Yeah, definitely well worth it. Just finally, how much are you looking forward to that Iron final? I can't wait. Maybe it'd be better if it's over and we win it, Mr. Luck. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks well so done. much. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. huge congrats to the Naval Bond today after that win over Castle Blaney. 12 points to 7 was how it finished at Salt Hill, not Nakara, in the uh, current account of the All Ireland Junior final. Massive congratulations to Naval Bond. More. Um, uh, on the Women's Sport Podcast with Joe McCarthy uh, this coming Thursday uh, at noon you'll get that on redfm.ie or subscribe to the Big Red Bench uh, on your podcast provider alright we're going to talk uh, football now and uh, Dave Myler uh, needs no introduction he's been on the show many times our international um, he is part of the Virgin Media Gamers Our Athletes campaign So David Myler, Stephen Roach, Tyrone Ryan and Kieran Walsh Going to compete in a live FIFA battle In the League of Ireland first At uh, Turnus Cross this coming Tuesday um, It's a really, really interesting concept uh, Aidan spoke to him about it As World Cup fever kicks in Virgin Media are bringing Ireland's top esports football players And Team Wild athletes Tyrone Ryan and Kieran Walsh To Turners Cross to play against Irish football legends David Myler and Stephanie Roach In a live FIFA battle that will also be streamed on Twitch at 5pm on the 29th of November through this campaign Virgin Media wanted to recognise the huge talent that gamers in Ireland represent and how they compete internationally every day at Virgin Media they understand that just like in every sport gamers need the right equipment in this case the best broadband alright I'm joined on the line by uh, David Myler of course uh, former Irish international David uh, thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench thank you very much for having me not a bother at all I suppose uh, you've been big into the gaming scene uh, since uh, since you've retired, really, especially FIFA, I imagine you're hugely excited uh, for this event at the Cross. Yeah, I know it's it's it was kind of surreal when I, I first got a phone call about it that there was going to be like a FIFA event, um, basically at Turners Cross because like my earliest memories of Turners Cross is going as a kid play, or going to watch Cork City play, and then obviously later on playing there with my schoolboy club, College Corinthians, and then 
I was fortunate enough to come back uh, with Ireland just before the uh, Euros in 2016. So like to, to hear that there's a gaming event going on um, was just kind of surreal and you know, obviously, I'm looking forward to it, and it's uh, it's going to be something that's uh, really good. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's the modern world, isn't it? You know, uh, it's it's really taken off, hasn't it? Esports. Yeah, and you look at it like even as you start there, like this event by Virgin Media it just shows how big it's gotten. If you go back years ago, there was never these massive brands getting involved, and like you look at like uh, now, it's there's a professional business in it. You've got Ireland's number one and two FIFA players come down to Cork to obviously uh, represent there their esports team which is wild which is like it just shows how far it's come on um, and like you said to have like Virgin Media involved like it just shows you like they're now obviously one of wild sponsors but it shows you how how big this industry is going and how big it's become Yeah I believe uh, Usain Bolt as well is involved with, with Team Wild Yeah I believe yeah he's co-owner I'm, I was kind of hoping he might be a Turner's Cross uh, next week but I'm, I'm not sure he will be um, but it'd been, it would have been nice to see the big man flaunting around Cork. Absolutely. Speaking of Turner's Cross, uh, Cork City might be playing there under new ownership next season. Uh, I suppose we'll know that answer in a week's time. What have you made of that news? Well, I've just I've just seen part of it. Um, Rory's obviously done an interview um, that has appeared on online. Um, I saw it on Twitter. Um, obviously, that's exciting for the club. Like if you if you look back, like obviously the the huge success last year getting promoted. Um, obviously, Collins doing a fantastic job. But now they'll be looking to kick on. They're looking for that, you know, investment into the club where they can obviously attract, you know, top Premier Division players um, and look to kind of build on that and push on. Like if you think about it, it's only, what is it now, five, six years ago, maybe a bit longer since, you know, since Corksey were challenging for the for the league title. So it, w- it would be great to see them back up at that end of the table. I'm obviously battling now for for the title but look that comes with the investment and obviously this is it's kind of exciting news I'm waiting to see how it unfolds uh, but I'm looking forward to it Yeah like you say it's not been that long uh, I suppose a hiatus away from challenging at the top in Irish football but like you know Ireland's second biggest city like uh, it, Cork City should be one of the top clubs in the Premier Division Yeah but we also have to like you just Look, I I agree with there, and you look at the amount of lads that we've had come through Cork. We've gone on to play internationally for Ireland, going all the way back, you know, years ago to Dennis and Roy, and then later on to the current lads like so, which are Adam, Ida, um, Quivian Kelleher, those lads, John Egan, of course, is obviously stepping captain for Seamus. So that's that's massive, and you, there's always been this massive footballing fan base in Cork and there's always been this thing in Cork where we do get behind everyone from Cork and support them whether that be you know the hurlers the, the footballers or the camogie team or the ladies football team we've always gotten behind our own and that's kind of the part where it's been a bit disappointing in terms of Cork City not being up challenging for the league title but it's obviously a work in progress at the moment. Obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of what happened years ago, but to see this talk of investment coming in and then, of course, you know, like with Colin in charge, obviously they had a fantastic year last year. They'll be looking out to build on that. But it's going to be a process. It's going to take time. Like next year, I imagine it's the, you know, establish yourselves in the Premier Division and then say the year after that, look to kick on um, because you don't want to yo-yo up and down. Um, so that's that's got to be their aim but that's like as you said there Cork being such such a big county such a passionate county about sport we want to obviously see the football team high up um, you know pushing for the Premier Division 
Absolutely. Uh, hopefully it is positive in the long run. The World Cup has been a bit of a difficult one, I suppose, for everyone. Striking the right tone while while also talking about football itself, it's kind of difficult, I suppose. But uh, as someone who, for all intents and purposes, you were close to maybe captaining Ireland to a World Cup, barring a uh, Christian Eriksen masterclass. Now, I know you were standing in for Seamus at the time as well. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the armband controversies with the captains of England and Wales and, and, and I suppose the overall sort of discourse surrounding the tournament like to be to be honest with the armbands um, I, I'm I'm a bit torn with them because I think of if I was in that situation if I was if I was captain of a country representing uh, my country obviously the World Cup a player like myself couldn't afford to pick up a cheap yellow card because of the way I played so like that that could have been that could be detrimental to me because then I could have ended up being sent off or missing the second game because of that or the third game, sorry, um, because of the yellows. So I get the point in some of them not wearing it, but at the same time, like you look at certain players who wouldn't be necessarily tackling, but like you look at Garrett Bale in Wales in the first game, he got a yellow card after 20 minutes. So like that's, but the whole idea of them not being able to wear it after being told they could wear it. um, And then obviously there was such a, such a, a big talk about it beforehand that they were going to do it and then not doing it. Um, look, at the same time, I think once they had committed to wearing it, I think they should have fallen it through. Um, and you imagine the statement that would have made. But it is it is a tricky situation. Obviously, you've seen the German team putting their hands over their mouths to say, like, the, the whole idea, we've been silenced. Um, there's, like, you're kind of looking at what way can we be what well, we can we make some noise about this and obviously highlight the issues at hand? Obviously, they've been well covered by everyone in the media, um, but it's whether or not things will change. I'm not sure they will, but only time will tell. I suppose there, just going back to your point, I think maybe the the retort that um, Roy Keane would have made is that it's not a cheap yellow card, that it's, it's a really meaningful yellow card. Yeah, it is, I suppose, in that sense, because you're highlighting something which is bigger than football, because, you know, FIFA's, FIFA's motto is football is for everyone. And obviously there is certain levels of discrimination on this. So then it wouldn't be technically or correct a cheap yellow card. Um, but in terms of like, if I look at it individually, then I could have picked up a, a yellow card in the game from a tackle. Do you know that way? That's the way I kind of see it. Like, and like, don't get me wrong. If, if say for argument's sake, if we were there and we'd lost our opening two games in the third game, you'd go all out because you know you're going home. Do you know what I mean? You'd want to make some noise and you'd want to highlight the issues at hand. Well, we've, we've seen everyone play at least once uh, at this stage on the pitch. Plenty of surprises um, after the end of game week one. Who do you think is now going to go all the way? Have you changed your mind maybe on, on where you were at the start? Well, I initially said Argentina. Argentina was the, the team I went for, um, but they were very disappointing. Like, obviously, they'd come in with a good track record. Of, I think it was 33 unbeaten um, after winning Copa America. You kind of There was a feel-good factor about them. Messi's obviously in flying form for... Um, Paris and Germain but then it just kind of it was just frustrating to watch them against Saudi Arabia and then you look at England England were impressive against Iran albeit you've seen Iran's result against Wales they performed very well so we'll be interested to see how England progress throughout the turn, like throughout the latter stages they should easily get out of their group France were impressive Spain of course with their 7-0 uh, Brazil winning last night there's a lot of good nations um, there's been like a handful of disappointing games um, 
but at the same time, it's it's one of them you're kind of waiting to see how. Once we kind of get to the last sixteen, we'll see what's what. Um, and I think that's the big part of it. But certainly, some teams are showing good form. Um, so I'm be interested to see what happens. Absolutely. Well, David, look, uh, a nice aside to the World Cup, uh, 5pm the 29th of November at Turner's Cross, uh, big one between yourself and uh, Stephanie Roach, of course, another Irish legend. Um, so we're all looking forward to that. I'm sure you are as well. Thanks a minute for joining us on The Bigger Bench tonight. No problem. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was great to hear from uh, Dave Miner there and good to get his thoughts on the World Cup and indeed uh, the proposed takeover of uh, Cork City Football Club by Mr. Dermot Usher, as Dave mentioned there, um, mentioned the interview that we did with him. It's available on the Big Red Bench podcast you can get that on redfm.ie forward slash podcast or from wherever you download your podcast from just search for yesterday's Big Red Bench and you will find it there certainly well worth that checking out very very long interesting chat it's about 30 minutes um, that we did with him and it covered a lot of topics um, and a lot of uh, information I suppose from Dermot was given out ahead of the vote uh, happening next Sunday uh, from, um, for Forest members so look be very interesting to see um, what he does if he comes in if he gets the, the, the vote if he wins the vote uh, next Sunday um, Forest members have to vote on it and uh, he certainly has uh, talked a very very good game um, it'll be interesting to see um, if Cork City fans uh, will vote him in and that's happening next Sunday and uh, could be under a new ownership this time next week so we'll certainly keep a very very close eye on that uh, indeed alright we're going to talk uh, more athletics actually our pal Ian uh, Keith um, has been adventure running for the longest time an endurance freak is um, what he would describe himself as he had a big race actually in Spain last week and he's doing a fantastic event this coming Tuesday in Cove where he's going to be uh, doing laps of the town uh, to help raise money for brighter communities worldwide which is co-founded by a local woman Maria Kidneys in their 20th year and uh, works in partnership with local communities in Carisho County in Western Kenya which offers health, education and economic empowerment programs that we've had Ian on the show before so I was delighted to, to talk to Ian again ahead of uh, this week's fundraising Alright we're delighted to be welcomed back to the show by our pal Ian Keith Ian how are you sir? I'm very good thank you very much Excellent stuff um, You before we get on to um, what's happening in Cove next week just back from Grand Canaria and uh, another epic race yeah, it was a huge race. It was about 270 kilometres long and uh, had at least 10,000 metres of up and down. And uh, yeah, it took. There were 72 starters and only 37 finishers, which will give you an idea of the level of difficulty involved. And uh, I myself got well battered up by it, but I managed to hang in there and make to the finish line as 14th male. So I was happy with that, to and say the least. And it was a, a great race. Really enjoyable <laughs> in the end, despite the suffering. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine even at this time of the year, Ian, um, the heat must be something else over there. That's what took a lot of people out of it, yeah. Uh, even though the temperatures weren't huge, they were sort of, you know... Uh, at the highest are about 27, 28 degrees but no winds and you're you know climbing up big mountains uh, and you're self-supported so you're carrying all the water you need for for about 70 kilometres so, so you end up you know carrying three or four kilos of water in your rucksack and then maybe worrying about running out you know so you're trying to not over drink at the same time you need to drink as much as you can so yeah he took a lot of people out of it and even myself I got 
uh, I got heat exhausted. I'd stop for about six hours, take a long sleep and recover and get back going again. But uh, I was happy to be able to do that and get back going. Yeah, and yeah, the heat, the heat was the big one in the end it turned out and I'm more used to, to races which would be cold but and I usually enjoy the heat that's the first time the heat has affected mm. me but there you go <laughs> so what was the total uh, time Ian? Uh, I think I was 83 hours in total on that <laughs> yeah what's the, what's the recovery period like that after Ian? Uh, well as I got older it gets longer when I was younger I used to, I used to be fairly fully recovered uh, for about a week but these days it takes a little bit longer it'll probably take me about a month to be more fully recovered <laughs> from something like that um, you're straight back into it though I mean like um, you're doing um, a fantastic fundraiser in Cove next week literally running rings around Cove can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, uh, so Maria Kidney is, uh, is an old friend of mine and she she's uh, organised a charity variety communities worldwide and I've been a huge admirer of Maria since she set that up many, many, many years ago and I'd, uh, I literally said I'd you know, to myself, if she ever asked me to do anything, I'll definitely do it. And she, she asked would I do something for her on this Giving Tuesday coming up. So I said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll literally run around Cove. You know, it, it's my hometown, and uh, I love going down there. And every time I go down home, I, I try and get into good training runs. So I said, I'll, you know. I'll try and put in a good long effort and uh, hopefully raise some money for Maria's charity. Um, and, and that's what I'm doing. So I'm hoping to do about a six hour run and do cover as many of the small safe roads of the, of the island as I can, you know, and, yeah. and hopefully drop in my old school, you know, run past my own home and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Obviously, it'll be a, a nice bit of extra stress for having just come back from the big race, but sure, that's part of it. You know, you got to do a bit of suffering from charity. You know, yeah. No, <laughs> no I, I've um, I've run the Cove Ten, and I found that exceptionally hilly. But I can't imagine for an athlete of your standing, it's that hilly, really, is it? Well, it's it's a it can be surprisingly hilly. You know, growing up there of course I consider the mountains of my own you know uh, and I lived on the top of East Hill which seemed like a massive mountain when I was uh, when I was young certainly uh, these days it seems a lot easier but still when you start to link them up you know the first few are easy but you know after a couple of hours they're getting less easy and there, there's some nice little uh, ramp ups around the back of the island there where you'd be surprised you know <laughs> no matter how good you are you're not gonna it's a horse up and down them even going down them could be a bit tricky at times so yeah it's, uh, they, 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 they start easy but you know after a couple of hours nothing is easy <laughs> <laughs> so have you got the route planned out and all at the stage uh, I, I'm not totally finalised but I'll be finalising it in the next day or two just to be sure but I have it I have most of it in my head and I'll, I'll just map it out and uh, so I'll be uh, giving a presentation on it to the the, the, the Bangalore Cove Athletics Club on Monday night as well and anyone is free to join in with me at any part of the run I'll, I'll hopefully paste it up on, uh, on my Facebook book as well where I'll be going and uh, you'd be more than happy for anyone to join in and run with me I, I will be going nice and slowly as you can imagine being in the, the 
recovery phase after a, an 83 hour non-stop race so uh, anyone will be able to keep up you know it'll be a, a slow jog at best but uh, hopefully we'll get around and you know it's, it's a pretty scenic route you know yeah. uh, plenty to see between the you know you're all, you can all see the, the water and uh, the back roads are actually quite pleasant to run on and they certainly are um, so do you have a, like a kilometre target in mind or is it just like run for six hours and see how far you get uh, yeah, pretty much a time target. Six hours is the minimum amount of time I'll run, and I'll just close out the loops and, and finish back where I started. You know, as as we approach that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really a kilometer target in mind. To be honest, when I'm when I'm running, I, I often don't. Even when I'm training, I just tend to say, right, I'll do a three-hour run today, and off I go. And I never measure the kilometers, so uh, it's just funny. It's just one of those things I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned, that uh, the the Q and A happening in Covaletics Club uh, this coming Monday night It'd be a fantastic uh, place for you to to meet people and talk about your recent races, and of course, uh, what's happening on Tuesday. Yeah, it'll be great. I'm really looking forward to that. It should be a nice evening. Excellent stuff. And as you mentioned, if anyone wants to join you, they just find you on the road on Tuesday and run along with you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll hopefully, um, as I said, I'll post up to it as best I can. If I can if I can rig up a tracker on my phone, I will, just to, to make it findable. <laughs> if I can do that, I'll post that on my Facebook page as well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, after Tuesday, then, have you thought about your next big event or are you just kind of doing a tight Christmas and relax? Uh, well, Christmas will be relaxing, right? But the next big event is already in the schedule, which is the Spine Race, which is uh, a race up the middle of England. Hence, it's called the Spine because it runs up the spine of England, and that's about uh, 420 kilometres. It's the length of the Pennine Way, yeah. and uh, yeah, that that's kind of opposite of the Grand Canary Race, where the cold and the wind and the are the things that are more likely to get you. Uh, but it's probably even more it's more difficult actually. It's, it's it's called Britain's most brutal race, and I actually I've won it two or three times, but uh, I'm getting a bit old to be winning it now. But I'll be out there giving it socks anyway. <laughs> Ian, it's always uh, inspirational talking to you, buddy. Yeah, thanks very much and uh, very best luck to oh, you. it's my pleasure thank you very much thanks very much that's Ian Keith there it is inspirational talking to him because I mean like the what he puts his mind and his body through in these races is just something else altogether and you just heard him talk about his next race there and you'd be exhausted just listening to him talk about it let alone doing it but yeah fantastic stuff and great cause on Tuesday as well so if you're around uh, Cova on Tuesday and uh, you want to run with Ian just keep an eye out for him and uh, sure and uh, join in uh, for a little bit and uh, very very best luck on to the challenge but as we've seen there's, it's only six hours it'll be grand alright still to come on the show we are going to look back on uh, Monster versus Connacht with our pal Tom Savage from Three Red Kings The Big Red Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Really glad you could join us on the Big Red Bench. Tonight we're here with you until 7 p.m. Going to talk rugby now. Good one for Monster. Yesterday, 24-17 was how it finished against Connacht in that Inter-Pro game. So for more on it, Aidan has been chatting to our good pal Tom Savage of 3RedKings.com. I'm joined on the line by Tom Savage of the 3 Red Kings. Tom, a huge win for Munster last night. Uh, following on of course from that big night against the Springboks 24-17 they defeated Connacht a bonus point win in Thoman Park a good win very good win and and badly needed I, I, I can't say that Munster played outstandingly well in this game but they did enough to get the bonus point which was badly needed 
in the URC so far this season. And like, I, I think you look at the game against South Africa, the important thing of bringing the vibes from that game into this one. I'm not sure Munster did that completely, but getting the win and getting the bonus point will be huge for this group heading into a fairly tricky December and January. Yeah, I'd suggest that uh, neither of the two defences played fairly well, but what did impress you most? Uh, I, I, what I really liked was just some really good individual performances from Munster, first of all. I thought Craig Casey did incredibly well for the entire game, managed it really well. Um, Antoine Frisch was really impressive for me. Uh, Munster signed him during the summer. Not a lot of hype around this guy, but he's an outstanding player. Um, and I, I just felt that it was a well-managed game from Munster overall. I thought John Hodnett was outstanding. Ty Byrne obviously got man of the match, but I, I think looking at the, the two defences, Munster made a few mistakes that are actually quite uncharacteristic for Munster this season. But I like the big thing for me was Connacht this year so far have had statistically the worst attack in the URC. Now, if you consume a lot of rugby media, you would think that it's the opposite, that they're actually a really good attacking side. It's it's the opposite. Um, so I, I think for Munster, like, they'll be disappointed with the, the tries that were conceded, especially the, the intercept uh, in on, on the five-meter line. Very uncharacteristic from Mike Haley. But I think overall, I think Munster would be relatively happy with how they managed that game out and the accuracy of you know scoring the tries they needed to score in the moment, which were really important. The line-out needed to function, and for the most part, in difficult conditions, it did. Yeah, I suppose as well, there in the second half, you know, conceding a try to let Connacht back within a, a score again, and uh, almost making a, a couple of blunders as well then at the breakdown, I think, was it uh, Casey was, was told by the ref to, to, to use the ball, and I think they ended up being forced out over for, for a line-out for Connacht, but they managed to recover and, and see out the game regardless of that. Yeah, look, I, I think you look at, at Munster's turnover rate was, was fairly high. It was a difficult enough game to play conditions-wise. The the wind, there was a bit of grease in the pitch as well, but I think Munster will be disappointed with that, with the, the, the turnover rate, and how they allowed Connacht to just try and get a surge on late in the game, which tends to happen between these two sides. I mean, you look at the last six games between Munster and Connacht, uh, it's only finished outside one score once, and that was uh, the last game up in the sports ground. So it's it's a very, very tight fixture normally. A lot of spite, a lot of niggle. And I, I think one thing as well that, that Munster will be fairly disappointed with was how the scrum went. Um, Connacht are a pretty gimmicky side in the scrum anyway. They've got a lot of little gimmicks for angling in, for kind of causing unusual pressure coming across, and, and rarely are they called for it. But I must say, I did like how the referee, who had an imperfect game, I think, for both sides, I do enjoy how he reversed the penalty for the sort of the head patting stuff after a scrum penalty. I think that was in the first half. I do enjoy seeing that because it's crept into the game an awful lot. Yeah, I saw, I was watching the coverage on, um, on I suppose it was a Premier or BT, either one anyway, and uh, they were discussing after the game, Stephen Ferris was very unhappy with the referee and thought the Munster were very lucky. Um, I, I think you look over the course of a season, you go back over the first four or five games that Munster had, you could pick out one or two decisions that went against Munster in that game, uh, in, in that run of games that arguably cost Munster one or two wins. I think in the modern game in particular, and we look at Razzie Erasmus, we look at some of the stuff that's been out there, even in the aftermath of this game, Andy Friend was complaining about the referee in the media um, directly after the game. Um, 
this is a very difficult game to referee. Everything is happening and there's such, like the laws are so complex, so complex that people will actually give you a bit of a, a bit of a scolding if you call them uh, rules rather than laws. Um, but it's very, very difficult. So when you have moments like that, I think you just have to ride with them and just go, okay, the referee will not get things perfect. Like I think Munster could easily say, well, look, if you're going to have a few decisions against, uh, you know, I think they're talking about the, the yellow card for John Porch, which, look, if John Cleans was a yellow card against Leinster for the same thing, then that's consistency. I'm okay with that, as long as it's consistent. And I, I think that it, it, there's a lot of complaining about referees. I think the biggest issue for, for, for Connacht and for, for pundits in the aftermath of this game is what's happened to the Connacht attack that, like, that a lot of people were speaking about as being best in the league is now the worst. I think that's more interesting to me than referees. Um, I suppose as well, we, we also saw Joey Carberry and Jack Crowley on the pitch together towards the end there. What are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting one. Um, I, I personally, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I think with the system that Munster are trying to run at the moment, I think it needs one guy as the playmaker with options arrayed off them. And I'm not sure if, like Mike Haley went off, I think, with, with, a, with a HIA, got a pretty nasty bang. I think that they weren't going to run with that until Mike Haley got injured and then they just, they just had to adapt because both uh, Crowley played a lot of fullback for Carcon and the AIL last year. Um, Joey Carberry has a lot of experience there as well. I'm not sure if this, if this system fully works with two outhaves in the field. I think you need to have one guy running it. Uh, but I felt that, like, I thought both players did well. Joey Carberry, I thought, needed a big game coming into this. You look at the, the context for him where, uh, not necessarily from a, an actual official point of view, but when you look at all the talk that's been out there, all of the focus that's been on Kieran Frawley earlier in the, the November window, and then Jack Crowley towards the end, a lot of pressure on Joey Carberry. He started this game with Jack Crowley brought straight back in from that Australia game, straight onto the bench. So there was a lot of pressure there for Joey Carberry. I felt in the first half, he wasn't great, but he had some really good moments in the second that showed a little bit more of what we expect and what we want from, from Joey Carberry. Um, and I think that that's going to be a real battle this season. But I think you look at, at Jack Crowley, you can't look at him and, and not think that that's the, like, the coming guy, the guy who's going to be the... The next, the next big player at ten for Munster, but I think it'll be between the two of those guys now. And and you know, I think you look at last night, how Munster managed to get that win. Um, I, I think that as long as you know, there's a lot of competition there. I think Munster will be happy enough. Absolutely. Then, just quickly to finish up, heading into heading into Europe now. Um, this is we we've said that this has been a, a, this is going to be a massive uh, couple of months for Munster. It, it started with that South Africa win. It seems to have kickstarted things. This win now seems to just have cemented that and kept the ball rolling. We're going into a Munster campaign now, or in, into a European campaign now for Munster, um, and hopefully they can bring these two victories into it and. Uh, keep that momentum going and on the upward trajectory. Yeah, look, I, I think next week they've got a game away to Edinburgh, which will be a really good challenge heading into um, heading into the European campaign because uh, Edinburgh are going quite well at the moment. They'll have a fairly full team ahead of that uh, next week. But I, I think for Munster going into Toulouse coming up and then Northampton, Toulouse in particular is a huge game. Uh, fitness and the availability of certain players will be hugely important. I think We've seen this season already that when Munster have a lot of injuries and a lot of guys moving in and out of the team, that that will affect the fluency that Munster are trying to, to play with. 
Um, there is the question, of course, of R.G. Snayman. Uh, he had been originally slated to be coming back around this time for the European uh, Cup games. Now, we're unsure of his injury status, and it's looking unlikely at this stage. I think he's a key player for Munster. Um, again, you look at Edwin Adogbo, how good he's been this season. Has kind of taken off some of the pressure on R.G. Snayman that way. But like he is a world-class player. He is a guy who I think Munster would really love to get on the field for teams that are coming, especially the, like the, a team the size of Toulouse. Yeah, they will be missing Antoine Dupont for that game. But they have so much size and quality. A, a guy like R.G. Snayman would really help. But we look at the start of the season. We look at the, the pressure that Munster have had to get up to a stage where they can start getting those wins and start getting like those performances. I think Munster are at a point now where they will be happy enough to be where they are. Um, they've gone through a rough patch, but I think that with the games coming up and a young team there as well, there's a real shot to nothing coming for, for, for these upcoming games. And I'm looking forward to them because I think this young, this young group has a lot of potential. I think they have a lot of belief I think there could be something special building. Absolutely. Tom Savage, thanks a million for joining us on The Big Red Bench. Thank you very much. The very best in the business there, Mr. Tom Savage there of Three Ray Kings, analysing Munster's win last night. And as Aidan was saying, looking forward to a very, very busy period there in Europe and a very, very exciting time. And that game against Leinster as well coming up on uh, St. Stephen's Day. It's always a, a cracker. Um, Munster and Leinster around Christmas time. So looking forward to that as well. But yeah, it's good to see Munster get that win last night and uh, certainly positives to take from it. Uh, we're going to talk motorsport. Gypsy native Kelly Cole has had another year at uh, F1000, the UK's premier motorcycle engine single-seater series. Uh, she tested for Porsche and Ferrari recently and was nominated uh, in the long list for the 2022 Motorsport Ireland Young Driver of the Year Award. Now, uh, Kelly has been speaking to Ger Mack about her career to date and what lies in store for next year and beyond. Thrilled to be joined on the line here now on the Big Red Bench by... Motorsport Ireland Young Driver of the Year Award nominee uh, Kaylee Cole somebody that we haven't spoken to in quite a while on the bench here but uh, fantastic news this week that she's been nominated for this prestigious award for 2022 and she's on the line with us now Kaylee, welcome back to the Big Red Bench and congratulations on your nomination Thank you so much it's great to be back it's been ages since we spoke Yes and a lot has happened tell us why have you been nominated for Young Driver of the Year I know you're going to play it down now and when did you hear that you were uh, you were in the running for this prestigious award um, so a few weeks ago um, every year Motorsport Ireland put out like uh, well they normally put it out on social media um, like a register thing where you um, register for the Young Driver of the Year but I um, thankfully got a letter of Motorsport Ireland in the door about I think it was last month asking to um, enter the Young Driver of the Award um, Year Award thing, and um, so I registered for it. And it took me like two days to like get all my answers together and email them back. And on Wednesday evening, I was in work and I got an email saying that I had been one of the seven drivers that have been selected. So it, it was I nearly dropped when I found out. <laughs> Well, congratulations. That, look, as I said, it's, the reason it's prestigious is that there's, there's so many famous names that have won it down through the years, but also it's pretty competitive. There's a lot of great names in there alongside your own, but just the fact that you're in the mix, I know things haven't gone the way you would have hoped in the Formula 1000 UK, which is your bread and butter, and we'll talk about that very shortly. But any yeah. anyone that checks you out on uh, Instagram, uh, Kales underscore Cole underscore Racing is your uh, official account. Some of the cars you've driven, uh, before we talk about the competitive side of it, some of the cars you've, been, you've had a chance to drive, Porsches and of course the Ferrari that I really want to talk about tell us about some of those experiences that you've had and where you've gotten to drive some of the fastest cars in the world 
<laughs> yeah, um, so this year I obviously had an unfortunate bad luck um, in the F1000 um, throughout the season. It, it wasn't really our year. We Most of my budget went into repairs rather than being behind the wheel, but obviously you're going to have them years to become who you want to become, I suppose. So um, that didn't really, it wasn't really, it didn't really work in our favour, but I had did have one really, really good um, race at Silverstone GP, the F1 track, um, with the Monoposto Championship. Um, I qualified 18th out of 48 cars. Um, so I was, it was a really, really big grid. So I was really happy to with my results that weekend. Um, I think I came eighth in race one, race two. I was up to third. So it was a podium finishing weekend. Um, so that was a really good weekend for us. And obviously throughout the year, I've gotten so much opportunities. I got to drive a Ferrari up in Mandela Park, um, thanks to Mandela Park and my manager, Noel Roddy. And I also got to drive the Porsches up there as well. Um, so it's been, I've drove so many cars this year, it's hard to remember which ones I've drove, to be honest. What a lovely problem to have, remembering all those fast cars you've managed to drive. Can you give us an idea of the kind of speeds in the Formula 1000 that you're generally doing around the racetracks and what speeds you, you managed to hit in both the Porsche and the Ferrari? Um, so I was in the F1000, it's probably the quickest I've been around with probably been Silverstone because it's such a like, fast track. Um, I probably I was probably hitting around 140 to 150 miles per hour um, and then in the Porsche and the Ferrari um, I, I didn't really know what I was hitting down Mondello but um, it, it was really quick <laughs> I love the way f- drivers like yourself just nonchalantly throw in ash it was about 140 150 miles yeah. an hour around the track <laughs> tight bends t- yeah. corners it, yeah no, it was, it was such a good experience like it was obviously way different to drive compared to the singles year used to be like more like tough with the single seat because obviously it's a lot faster car and but with the Porsche and the Ferrari it was, it was just a different handled car so I struggled for a bit at the start and then when I got used to it I was flying so Flying indeed uh, here on the Big Red Bench we're talking to Kaylee Cole uh, motor racing driver extraordinaire and somebody who has just announced this week that she found that she has been nominated for the Motorsport Ireland Young Driver of the Year Award 2022 Kaylee, can I ask you with like frustration and dealing with frustration and dealing with the technical issues that would have blighted your, your, uh, your you know, your, your championship this year. Like it's all a learning curve. I mean, you, you're having to deal with an awful lot. You're having to deal and focus just yeah, inside definitely. the car on its own. How much of that can you take into 2023 now? And what, like, I mean, it's, it, as I said, it's a learning curve and it's frustration, but not letting it get the better of you is a difficult thing to do, I would imagine, as, as a driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, this year has been, it's been really, really hard. Like most, most races I came off and, I just, you know, you, you feel like giving up, but obviously you can't give up. You just have to keep going. And, you know, I, I'm sure every racing driver around the world would feel like that, especially when you're coming in and there's a problem every race. But um, I'm hoping to move up the ladder next season, depending on, like, funding and who I can get on board to support me throughout 2023. And um, I recently got an opportunity to test with the Porsche Great Britain team um, in the, at the start of October. And the test day was really, really successful. So I got invited back last weekend at Silverstone and um, tested again with them again. But unfortunately, I couldn't test because um, the the end it's the day just got jungled up and I couldn't test. But I'm hoping to do another day with them very soon. Um, but main aim next year is to focus on moving up the ladder and um, with the sport that we get. So um, I'm buzzing for next year. It's just kind of putting more confidence and happiness into next year and like hoping it'll go better than this year. 
Very well said. And it's refreshing to hear a driver talking so positively, having had to deal with everything, everything you've had to deal with this past year. Can I ask you, Kaylee, as well? Um, reg, we have a regular Formula One slot on our Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast uh, with yeah. Sarah McKenzie and uh, she, uh, Sarah McKenzie Foley now. And she, um, we have been covering the W Series. Unfortunately, it had to it had to wind up a bit earlier than normal, but there's hopes that that will be, you know, resurrected again next year alongside the Formula One, which is the pinnacle um, for yeah. for females and for women drivers. I would imagine when that's back up and running, is that the aim down the line? That's where you want to be at. Um, yeah, definitely. The W Series is definitely a great um, series. It's it's brought on a lot of women women to the sport, and it's given them so much opportunities and pathways into different avenues of motorsport. Um, that's definitely an aim to get to and I you know, I hope to race in W series someday. Obviously, unfortunately it has to be cut off this season due to like funding and stuff, but I'm sure of it that F one are gonna try and do something to bring them back up. Um with the talks of F one, you know, wanting the series back because, you know, it gave women so much opportunities and hopefully it'll get an inroad of, of women into Formula One someday. But um yeah, that's definitely a main aim, but we'll focus on things for now and I think the W Series are interested already. Excellent stuff. Um, you're, you, you mentioned uh, funding and you mentioned sponsorship. Who are the people that have helped you get to this point in your career? Um, I've had so much sponsors, especially local businesses around Cork. Um, I had this season, I had Chris Mee, um group. Um, he's like does all the safety training and stuff. He's based in um, Cargilline and stuff like that. I had CB Tool Hire. Um, I've had Jason and Donald O'Brien cars. Um, who else have I had? <laughs> um, let me think. Well, you've um, had, you've, I've, ha- I've had so many people. It's yes. so hard to name, but the amount of support I've had from you know people getting me this far is unbelievable. And uh, like you know, I'm so thankful for them. It's, you know, it's, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for them. Kaylee, is it difficult? Sorry, is it more difficult for a young woman to get into motorsport than men? Is it, that, is it that bit more difficult? Have you found any additional barriers or are things improving? Um, to be honest, I think like at, at the point when like the sport, like with women in motorsport and like how many like people are taking interest in women in motorsport these days, it's it's, a, it's not easier as such, but you know, I, I feel like women in motorsport get a lot more support than the males would now because it's such a, it's such a big thing to happen at the moment. Like, you know, when a girl comes into the sport, it's not really a shock anymore because there's so many women getting into the sport now and there's so much support for them. So I wouldn't say it's harder, maybe in different avenues, like obviously F1, there's not a girl in there yet, but um, I feel like women these days are a lot more accepted into the sport than maybe they were a couple of years ago. But I've never really had problems with, you know, getting into things. Like, you know, I've always had really good friends and I've always been accepted into the sport, but um, I feel like it's a lot better now than it was. Would you recommend it to any young girl that is interested in motorsport? Is it something worth pursuing or what are the kind of things they're going to need if they want to be successful like you? Um, it definitely takes a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I've had my ups and downs as I've had this season, but, um, and you do feel like obviously people, a lot of people would give up if, you know, you've had that much trouble, but you honestly just don't give up and, you know, you have to follow your dreams and, you know, if that's your dream, just keep going and you will have your bad days, you'll have your good, but just never stop, I suppose. 
Very nice words to uh, to for any young uh, female uh, listeners to the podcast and to, big, to the big red bench there. We're talking to Kayleigh Cole, a uh, motor racing driver, um, and of course been nominated for this year's uh, Irish Motorsport Young Driver of the Year Award, and congratulations on that. Just before we finish up, Kayleigh, where can people find you and all the information about you on social media, your various, various social media accounts? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter on Kills underscore Cole underscore Motorsport and our racing, sorry. And I also have a TikTok account as well for any young kids that are on TikTok. Yes, young young kids uh, and not middle-aged presenters like that. Who don't uh, even... Well, I, I don't know about that now. It's gone so famous. Now you wouldn't know who's on it. <laughs> It's true, it's true. At least it's still there, unlike Elon Musk trying to get rid of Twitter. But anyway, listen, it's been fantastic talking to you, Kelly. Um, we're delighted. Fingers crossed now with the Motorsport Ireland Young Driver of the Year Awards coming up. Uh, you've been nominated for that. Hopefully, things will go well for you and things will go even better in 2023. And we here on the Big Red Bench will keep tabs on how things are going and check in with you again. Hopefully. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So fingers crossed for Monday. My interview is at half twelve, so I'll leave you know how it goes. Yeah, very, very interesting stuff indeed uh, from uh, Kaylee Cole there. Uh, speaking to Jerry McCarthy and get more on the Women's Sport Podcast every Thursday uh, from 12. All right, we're going to wrap up the show. I just want to um, have a little look back at last night's show and our interview with Cork City's prospective new owner, Mr. Dermot Usher. I had a, a, wide-ranging chat, a wide-ranging chat with him. It was over 30 minutes. just want to play a little bit of it and you can check out the full thing on yesterday's podcast. Go to the redfm.ie. Um, forward slash um, uh, podcasts or you can download it from your podcast provider and the vote is happening next Sunday at 3 o'clock I think um, at a special general meeting uh, but this is part of my conversation uh, with Dermot Usher and uh, this is me asking him um, why Cork City fans should vote for the sale next week to wrap things up nicely in a little bow why should Cork City fans vote for your takeover on December 4th I think I know, I understand the nervousness around here comes somebody along again and all the and all the rest of it. Okay, I think it's been noted in the media and you know in different forums that I have spoken to another and you know I've had conversations with other clubs and all the rest of it. That's allowed me to understand fully the League of Ireland and what works, maybe what doesn't work. Um, I'm coming into this with my eyes open um, I'm coming into this with the understanding I'm not going to make any money I'm going to probably lose some money at this but I'm coming into it with a passion for League of Ireland with a willingness to get on board and get my hands dirty um, just this is something that we can work together um, I think the club to get to the next level with a view who knows as regards Europe maybe on the horizon in, in a few years you know that would be my ambition that we can get get the club to that place um, you know I'd like to see I want people I want, if people are coming along to the vote at the end of the day when I go home that night I'm going to have a cup of tea I'm going to watch TV and I'm going to rush my teeth and get into bed the same as everybody else okay I'm no different I've come from a, a, an environment growing up where I wouldn't have had much I've done well for myself. I think on the strategy side and on the business side is what I'm going to bring to the bring to the table. Um, and then there's football people being brought in to run the football club. That's that's the way this is works. Uh, this is going to work. Um, so I've got two ears and one mouth. Two ears means me. I need to listen, um, and I want to listen to the fans um, who support Cork City um, because at the end of the day they're the backbone of the club. 
simple as that. Um, and I know that. Big Red Ben John Corks, Red FM. Thanks very much indeed for listening to us. It's a big week for Corks today. We'll have more on next week's shows. Green and Red's next. Talk to you next week. The Big Red Ben. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Corks Red FM.